welcome to the Locust and Honey podcast. We are two Reformed Southern Baptists who desire to speak the truth of the gospel to the heart of the culture. We're also proud members of the Biblical and Reformed Network. If you would like to support our growing podcast, you can do so several ways. One, you can leave us a comment and share our podcast on your social media. Two, you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And three, you can follow the link in our show notes to find all of the other ways that you can support us and connect with us. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, keep the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 through 20. Four. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to the Locust and Honey Podcast. I'm Andrew. And I'm Matt. And this is episode 43. Yes, it is. Of the Locust and Honey Podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about Thanksgiving and giving thanks. Thanksgiving, the holiday. Yes. So here, as we are recording this, old Hurricane Nicole. Got a hurricane. Is blowing overhead, so we're nice and comfy. We're bunkered down, (laughs) (laughs) hanging out. Yep. Uh, Not much going on right now. As we look out the window, we've got cows flying by. We've got. (laughs) I'm just kidding. So we invite you to relax, sit on the couch, get your favorite comfy blanket, sip some tea, or coffee. And think of us. And just, well, just well, listen, listen to us. Think of yeah. the Lord. Think of the Lord, yeah. All glory be to God. That's right. Yeah. But. How dare I? <laughs> Sully Deo Gloria. That's right. There we go. <laughs> For his glory alone. Um, But before we jump into Thanksgiving, I'm, I'm you know I'm going to have to ask what's your favorite Thanksgiving Food is. Yes. But I'm not going to ask that yet. Okay. Because first, I want affirmations and denials. Mm. So let's affirm and then deny. Okay. Do you want to start? No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I've I got my start. denial. I don't have my affirmation. Though. I will start with affirmations. Okay. Um, so as most of you know, if you've been following us, for all the OG listeners that have been here from the beginning... Um, a lot of our affirmations or denials have come from us working out in that process. And I got my wife a birthday present yesterday. Mm. 
she had a Series 1 Apple Watch and has requested. The only thing that she wanted for Christmas was a, a newer Apple Watch because hers being a Series 1, when she got the new software, she couldn't connect her phone to her watch and basically just had an actual watch. Um, so she wanted a new Series 1 or a newer watch. Uh, so as I was at Verizon yesterday, uh, I ended up getting her Series 8 watch, and I got me a watch as well. So mm. I'm affirming um, my new Apple Ultra watch. Um, I've had I've always used Sunto watches in the military. I used a Sunto Core. That was like my go-to jam. Uh, and then about two years ago, I got, I don't know, the Sunto smartwatch. And, um, but it does not do all that this watch does. And for what I'm doing right now, uh, I'm very pleased with my new watch because it gives the most accurate tracker of daily burned calories and just total calories. Um, so as I am tracking my macronutrients, I know exactly how many calories I'm going through in a day so I can know and have a, a more accurate read of how many calories I need to be consuming a day. So I'm between five and 800 calories under the amount of calories I expend in a day to help me lose weight uh, as we're growing muscle and getting stronger. And uh, so, yeah, I'm excited about it. Uh, this, the Apple Watch specifically is probably the best in tracking all of that, but then also just having a bunch of useful tools, like knowing when the sun's going to come up and go down and all that stuff, yeah. weather, all that. But the other thing that I'm excited about uh, I, with this, I've, I've never had the Apple Watch, so it's not integrated with my phone as well. But I'm excited about being able to just kind of leave my phone in the truck or wherever and do most of my stuff from my watch. So, yeah. Um, I am expecting to see screen time go down and all of that because I just won't even have it there to right. worry about it. So, uh, yeah. So that's my affirmation, the Apple Watch. And uh, we'll see how it goes. Yeah. I've got a Series 3. But soon, I've got my wife Emma and I actually have like iPhone XRs, which is pretty man. Like it's like the Stone Age phone at this point. I was going to say, but, I think Father Abraham had yeah. the X. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, my watch is a Series Three, and it is integrated with my phone really well. But um, the screen is kind of small. Like, my, I got my wife a different iWatch, a newer one, yeah. for her birthday, maybe last year, I think. And um, her screen's nice and big and stuff. You can yeah. actually do stuff. I really, it's hard for me to, like, leave my phone somewhere because right. the screen's so small that, like, I it's it's not, it just annoys yeah. me. <laughs> right. So, um, I don't know. We're going to have to get new well, phones at some point. So maybe I'm, I get a watch that'll be a little bigger. My screen's pretty big. Yeah. But... I'm used to a bigger watch anyway. The Suntos are all huge watches. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm used to having a big watch. And um, yeah, so this thing, I mean, it, it comes with... That's green. That, yeah, it's big. Compare that to one. Oh my goodness. But this 
it comes with the mobile plan. Mm-hmm. Like you have to get the mobile plan and you can choose to keep it or not. Uh, I probably would have never gotten a mobile plan, but with this watch, I'm, I got the mobile plan because I mean, like I said, I, I can scroll the internet. I can scroll Facebook. I can do all that stuff just wherever I'm at. Um, right. Just pull it up there and, and have it. And the screen's big enough that I can actually do stuff on it. You know, mm-hmm. I can make calls. I can do texts. I can do all that stuff, which most people can from Apple watches, but I'm, that's new to me. So, uh, it, before with my Sunto, it would kind of track, uh, some stuff, but this does a lot better. Um, I'm not using the GPS as much mm-hmm. as, uh, I, I used to use it. So what the Sunto is offering, uh, it's just not as useful for me and where I'm at now in life. Yeah. So, um, yeah, the, the main thing though, the battery life, we'll have to see about that. I know the ultra has a longer battery life than all the other Apple watches, but my Sunto, uh, that thing, I would charge it once a week and it would really, it would just, yeah, it would go. Oh. So, uh, I think this one, they're saying around two days of use, hmm. um, We'll see. I've had it on since yesterday, and I'm at 40% battery life. So we'll see how it does. We've already worked out. I slept. It tracked all that. So, yeah. But that is my affirmation, Apple Watch, for the purpose of more accurately knowing my calories so that I can lose more weight. Well, cool. Yeah. Cool. What are you going to affirm? Well, I am going to affirm the long game. Okay. The long game. So, um, which long game? Spiritually speaking, the long game. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it's been over the past few days something that's just kind of impressed on my heart. And I, I, I really, um, I'm, I'm, it helps, it helps me when I think about ministry and I think about, um, you know, things like evangelism, people in our family who aren't saved and think about, uh, marriage and you think about just kind of where you want to be as a household later on down the road and stuff like that. I think we live in a society where um, things are expected to be instant. Um, yeah, We live in that, I think has seeped its way into the church. And so um, kind of what I'm talking about with the long game is that God is sovereign and he has, he's working all of these things out for the purposes of his will, which he will bring forth. And that may not be immediate. And most of the time it's not. God, when you look through scripture, does things very gradually. Um, we talked about post-millennialism a couple of weeks ago. And one of the things that that really, the way, one of the reasons why that is very, very consistent with scripture is because it shows this gradual growth of the church through the world. And um, it's not this instant thing. Right, And I think that sometimes when I'm sitting, I'm thinking about ministry or I'm thinking about, you know, being a leader of my household or I'm thinking about, um, or you, you can even put it, point it to uh, when we sit and we have election night a couple nights ago. And it's like, you know, if you're a conservative, then you're like, man, <laughs> right. That was rough, yeah. you know, you were ex- because conservatives were all expecting this red wave, so red to speak. Red wave because they wanted this instant blowback against the craziness of wokeness. Yeah. Um, I think that even that is something that I think woke, wokeism, as we've talked about before, I believe 
will go down because scripture says it will. All of the enemies of God will be put under his feet. And so, um, but that may not look exactly the way that we think. And that's something- Well, I think that- a lot of people are thinking, whether they're saying it or not, I think the subconscious is we need politically to squash all of this sinful cultural right. thought. Yeah. You know? And so we need- presidents and senators and whatever governors and all that stuff to mandate morality. Mm-hmm. Um, but none of that deals with the heart of the culture. Right. You know what I mean? And, and I think this election showed that well, where people don't want to live under the rule of how crazy the left has gotten, which is why you see all of these gubernatorial races where, um, you know, the, the Republicans did well there, mm-hmm. but then with like the Senate and all of that, there are a lot tighter races there. Um, primarily, primarily because, uh, abortion or other reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, but like ultimately this shows that our culture is sick, mm-hmm. you know, um, there are a lot of people that are electing, like, what is the guy that won that beat Dr. Oz? Oh, Fetterman. Fetterman. <laughs> the fact that he won yeah. shows that we're culturally sick. Like, that right. guy, I mean, have you, did you listen to any of his debates or see any of that? Yeah. Like, he's it's he's rough. on drugs or something. He's well, he had on, a stroke and he's recovering from that, his stroke okay. and it's well, just, whoops. it's... <laughs> But in his stroke recovery, it's... But my point is people yeah. are electing that guy to, you know what I mean? Right. Like I even said, so like in Georgia, for our Senate race, we had Herschel Walker um, for the Republican side going against Ralph Warnock. And I've, I've been telling everybody, like Herschel, Herschel Walker, he's not a strong candidate mm-hmm. of himself. You know what I mean? Like right. people like him here, played for the Bulldogs, won us the championship, did really good. But like, as far as like a political leader, he wouldn't be your top pick for a guy. Right. You know what I mean? So I think a lot of people voted for him because they know he's just going to vote a certain way on on issues. But as far as just like we don't have good candidates mm-hmm. to vote for. You right. know what I mean? Um, and, and so, you know, I, I'm not voting for Ralph Warnock because primarily I I think that we need to stop killing babies right. in the womb and and then i just i disagree with uh spending and all of that stuff you Pretty know what i mean every other right policy <laughs> yeah but but primarily yeah. like i want to see the end of murdering children in the womb right you know and uh and so i know that herschel walker is going to vote that way regardless of his personal life right you know yeah um but as that goes back to, there's just, there's no, where you're like, okay, this person, not only do I know that they're going to vote a certain way, but like, there's some integrity and some, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. To that person. So all of that to say, going back to your long game thing, Christians need to be invading the culture with the truth of the gospel. Mm -hmm. And it's like what we said last week. um, But until the culture has been, brought face to face with the truth of the gospel and repented. Right. We're not going to see all of this 
you know, we're not going to see political success. We're not going to see economic success. We're not going to see peace. We're not going to see any of that stuff because we're ultimately rebelling against God and he's judging us with the government we deserve, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, and, And so that's kind of my thoughts on it is we need to quit looking for this quick fix. It's like when fat people try to get skinny. They're like, well, what's the newest fad diet? Right. And can I do that for two weeks and then get skinny? Well, no, you can't. Mm-hmm. It takes consistency right. over time, and then you'll see the effects of that. But if you're not making active steps over time, then you're not going to see it. Right. It takes discipline. It takes self-will. It takes, you know, whatever. Um it's the same thing when we want to invade the culture with the truth of the gospel. There's not some quick fix. Well, let's vote this person in and then everything will be made right. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, you've got the overturning of Roe v. Wade, but like if you, if you look at the population of America and, and poll how many of them agree with that, probably the majority of them, you know, over 50% are going to say we disagree with that. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't matter. That doesn't make it morally right because they disagree, you know? Um, so what we need to do is we need to reach the people with the truth of the gospel. And the way that we do that is the church needs to start, um, invading communities with light, Mm -hmm. you know, with, with God's word, with, uh, the truth of the gospel, with loving people in sin, with being doctors to the spiritually, sick right so and i I think that was a good illustration that you brought up with the fitness part of it because um it was something also that i was thinking about even as i was driving home from the gym this morning where you know it's like there are certain um i'm definitely physically so like where i'm at i'm trying to build strength i'm trying to i think what really i think looking back what happened was i i had appendicitis, I lost 30 pounds and it took all my muscle away that I had built up over years of baseball and all that stuff. And so my strength is like, it's, I'm, I'm getting it back slowly though. And it's, it has not returned to the point that it was before all of that happened. And so it's like, it's easy for me to get kind of discouraged because it's like, man, I'm only (laughs) lifting that way. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Um, but then I thought about it and I was like, think about, okay, we've been working out over the past year, really. It was mm-hmm. about, about, and so I was thinking about where I was at as far as what I was lifting back then. And I'm lifting, I mean, it's like 40, 50 more pounds on everything, right? you know? And it's, it's like, that is something to be encouraged by. Yeah. And that's, that's also that principle though. It translates over into spirituality. It translates in our personal walk with Christ translates over into kind of what you were saying with invading the culture with the gospel. We want to just all of a sudden be able to bench 225 pounds, or we want to all of a sudden just be able to, you know, I'm going to work out for a week. And by the end of that week, I'm gonna be able to squat five plates. Right. It's like, no, nah, it takes, it takes years you know what i mean yeah um and we should rejoice in that because god's working in that and through scripture that's how it goes down that's how things work you know so yeah so yeah affirmation i like it all right so denial um you go first okay so my denial is going to be along the lines of um (laughs) 
<laughs> I forgot now what I was going to deny. I had it in my head. Um, let's see. Man, I can't remember. Here you go. Do you have yours? Well, yeah, but mine kind of ties into the... Oh, it ties into the thing? Yeah. All right. So no pressure. Well, this will be my denial then. Okay. Okay. I'm going to... Den- and it, I, I didn't mean for it to relate to my affirmation as much as it did. But I was going to deny <laughs> um, the way that we as uh, Christians often look towards, and, and it's like what we were saying, often look towards politicians and things like that to be our saviors in the culture wars. Um, <clears throat> because coming out of the other night, you know, with the election and stuff, you hear a lot of of people saying, man, like, that would did not go the way that we wanted it, you know, or, um, I, I really am discouraged about where we're at as a country. And I think that it, uh, we should be discouraged. We should be. Yeah. And I think that it's, it it goes back to kind of what we were saying with the long game of like, there is a point in time where like, you've got to be okay. Realize that this is obviously a broken place, you know? Yeah. Um, and that our hope, though, is not in Trump running <laughs> or even in DeSantis or in any politician. Right. And I, I think that even as we get through, and this will be my denial, I guess, even as we head towards the next election cycle in 2024, I, I fear that a lot of Christians, um, and maybe part of it is because of where we live. We live in the Southeast, and it's like that's part of the so Christianity and politics really kind of mesh together in a lot of ways sometimes. Yeah, a lot of people squeeze um, them together. Yeah, in ways that they shouldn't be. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, I think that uh, that'll be that'll be my denial is that we should not be looking towards leaders to um, to bring about revival or reformation. We yeah. should be looking towards the spreading of the gospel and playing the long game. On that topic, I was listening to Blog and May Blog. They just came out with an episode called Red Red Wine. Mm-hmm. Not W-I-N-E, but W-H-I-N-E. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, but basically what he was saying there, uh, I wouldn't recommend to go listen to it. Um, <clears throat> but one of the things that we were talking about is we need to start self-assessing ourselves better. Uh, we like to look at ourselves and any flaws that we have, we either say that's just who I am and like I was born that way, so it's acceptable, or we make excuses, you know, well, that's not my fault. You know, it's this or that or this or that. Um, as a nation, we need to self-assess, you know. It's kind of like when, we'll go back to fitness, um, you know, you go to the doctor and they're like, okay, you're pre-diabetic, Um and the reason for you being pre-diabetic is because you're overweight and you eat like crap, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, so there are things that you can do to not be a diabetic. Uh, but if you continue down the path that you're on, you're going to have diabetes, you're going to have a harder life, and it could kill you, you know? Mm-hmm. That's where we are. Well, that's where we need to be as a nation. Um, we need to assess what's going on and not just say, huh, well, you know, 
my blood pressure is higher or my blood sugar is spiking or this or that. You know, we see right. all these things and we're just like, well, it's probably no big deal. You know, I'm just mm-hmm. going to keep doing what I'm doing. Um, the things that we're doing have led us to what's going on around us. And what's going on around us is going to kill us. You know? Right. So uh, we can look at that and we can repent, which is what we said, turn to the Lord, repent, and worship him and allow him to be king of kings and lord of lords. Or we can continue to worship ourselves and look to ourselves to save us and keep wondering why things are getting worse and worse around us, you know? Um, But so that's my hope is instead of Christians specifically uh, whining about this or that, um, that we start first and foremost allowing the truth of the gospel to penetrate our hearts so that we're repentant of sin. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of Christians that are unrepentant of sin, but they're expecting lost people to repent of sin. You know what I mean? If we who proclaim to be transformed by the gospel and walking day by day, um, following Christ are unrepentant of sin and there's no revival or reformation that's happened in our lives, how are we going to call anybody else to that? Mm. You know what I mean? Um, so I, I think that's the first thing is I hope that this at least allows the church to wake up. And you're starting to see that. Uh, 2020 and and forward has really caused a lot of churchgoers to say, hmm, why do I believe what I believe? Yeah. You know? And so there is some people waking up, but we need the church as a whole to wake up, to repent of our sin, to lay aside, you know, that Hebrews 12, that, that sin that clings so closely. Um, we need to repent of that. We need to turn to Christ and we need to then be light and salt to the world around us. But for us that are filthy vessels, we're whitewashed tombs. And we try to look beautiful on the outside, but inside is death. Um, the Lord, I mean, he can use anything, but that's that's not the primary means that the Lord uses for people to go and impact the culture with the gospel. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's people that are um, purifying themselves through the word and through Christ and the Holy Spirit. They're repentant of sin. They're, they're clinging to Christ, you know? Um, so... That, you know, yeah, that's my thoughts on your denial. Cool. All right, my denial is going to be this. I'm going to try to make it quick. Uh, I deny men that are not being men. Hmm. Uh, I think there's a lot of men not being men. So last week we we kind of talked about uh, what makes a man versus a, a male. And so we talked about four Ps. Uh, three of them I'm taking from order of man, one I added. So protect, provide, preside, and pastor, right? Um, protect, being able to protect our family, being able to protect people. Uh, preside, being able to lead and guide the people around us. Um, provide, being able to provide for our family being able to provide for those around us, being able to f- provide for people in the church, and then pastor. Um, men should be the pastors in their churches. They should be the spiritual leaders in the church. They should be the spiritual leaders in their family. They should be the spiritual leaders to their wife, to their kids, to their friends and family around them. Um, they should be the spiritual leaders in their neighborhoods. They should be the spiritual leaders in their workplaces. You know what I mean? Um, 
And so most men are not doing that. So on the superficial level, the, the, the physical level, um, so, uh, I am not one of the preppers that says we need to all get bunkers and like, you know, Mm -hmm. be able to live in a bunker for a year with rations and all that stuff. Right. But as men, we should be prepared to take care of people, whether it's our family. So if that's learning life skills, how to change a tire, how to change the oil, how to work on a generator, how to catch fish and then know how to clean that fish, how to shoot a deer, how to protect your family, um, that kind of thing. We need to be proficient in that because one of the roles of the man is a protector. You know, we need to protect, uh, our family. We need to protect people. So all of this stems about from this morning. So me and you were at the gym and I'm Mm -hmm. riding home and I'm on the phone with my wife and I look across the lane and, uh, it looked like a motorcycle under a car. And I was like, well, Hey Tiff, let me let you go. I'm gonna see what happened. So I hopped out and a, a guy had pulled out in front of a lady on his motorcycle and got hit. Um, and so I got there and I was the first person on scene other than the two of them. And the lady's frantically calling the police. And so she was okay. Uh, that guy was laying on the ground between like kind of leaned up on the motorcycle and the grill of her car. And so I'm talking to him and, you know, checking one, is he conscious? Two, is he breathing? Three, is there any loss of blood? I'm like, patting him down, seeing if he's got a broken leg, seeing, you know, can you wiggle your toes? Can you wiggle your fingers? All that stuff. Um, and asking him, do you, do you know what happened? Mm-hmm. And uh, I was like, you know, how do you feel right now? And he's like, well, I don't really know. Um, <laughs> I'm like, well... He said, actually, I feel like I just got hit by a car. <laughs> I was like, okay, well, that's an accurate assessment of, yeah. of where you should be right now because you did. Um, <laughs> but so I was talking to him and and just kind of there until the, the deputies showed up on scene. And uh, once they showed up, they were dealing with him and the lady and helped move his motorcycle out of the road. And then when the ambulance got there, I took off, you know. But like how many people, one, would stop in the first place to check it? And then two – out of the people that stop, how many have training on what mm. to do? You know, right. um, if some natural disaster was to hit where you live, are you going to be able to help provide uh, whether it's medical care or, you know, whatever it is, you know what I mean? Uh, being willing to help and then being able to actually help are two different things. Mm-hmm. You know, um, most of the time, when you look at, uh, like people that are shot, whether it's whatever the reason, when people get shot, uh, there's normally three to four people that are standing around doing nothing. And then, uh, sometimes one person that's able to actually help, you Mm -hmm. know? And, and, and so that just kind of goes back to what I'm saying is we need to have some basic understanding of first aid, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, we need to have some basic understanding of, being able to eliminate threats, whether it's, you know, you're at, I mean, I don't think there's malls anymore, but like (laughs) you're at the mall, you know, and, and somebody pulls out a gun, like in, in our culture, that is a reality that people have to think through now, you Mm -hmm. know, are you going to be able to help those people or are you just going to be another person that's running around, not helping anybody, you know? So 
as men and then specifically as Christian men, like that should be something that, like I said, I'm not saying we need to all become preppers and like everybody builds basements and stocks it up with, you know, $8 million of like weapons beans. and ammo and beans. And <laughs> <laughs> Hot beans. Yeah. Um, but we should be able to, if, if, if you're 35 years old and you can't change a tire or if you're, you're 35 years old and you're completely reliant on getting food from the grocery store and you would have no idea how to catch a fish or what to do once you caught it or shoot a deer or what to do once you caught it, like start expanding your base of knowledge so that when, you know, when for your wife and kids, they can count on you to be that protector. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? So like, if you look at the history of life up until the last 50 years, that was something a woman looked for in a husband you know, right. can my husband provide for me? Even if things get bad, can I put my faith in my husband that he's going to provide? Nowadays, it's it's one. The first thing is, is my husband going to make a lot of money? Mm. And then I don't care how he does it. So like he can code, like he's the best coder. And I'm not knocking anybody that's a coder, but mm. like if that's your jam and that like you're making tons of money on coding, um, that's fine, but do you have other life skills? Right. You know what I mean? Uh, are you just good at sitting on a computer or do you have skills on how to actually live? Mm-hmm. You know, and I don't care what it is. You know, you you like to hunt. You like to carve things. You like to, whatever it is. Learn skills that are actually useful in life. So, and a good way to, to assess that is, uh, let's say that, something happened and, and we're back in, you know, the 1800s, you know, can you provide anything to barter? You know, uh, whether it's, well, I've got 12 chickens. Well, okay. So now I can go and I can trade eggs for meat or eggs Mm -hmm. for corn or eggs for, you know what I mean? Uh, I know how to farm. I know how to garden. I know how to can, I know how to build stuff. You know, I can actually use a hammer and nails and make something, you know, Mm -hmm. like those are actual useful skills that, um, would be helpful. And if, if part of being a man is protecting and presiding and providing and pastoring, then being able to do those things are also helpful, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, and, and men from the history of creation have been able to do that kind of stuff. But nowadays that they're, they're not, you know? So like, if you were to come up on an accident, one, would you stop and get out and help? And then two, would you have the tools necessary to be able to do that? You know, say the guy had have lost a leg, you know, would you just stand there and watch him bleed out? Or do you have a tourniquet and know how to use it? And you know what I mean? That Mm -hmm. kind of thing. So, uh, that is my denial. That was not quite as short as I thought it would be. Um, but there, there are people that are doing it well. So I, I like, we've plugged them before, not because we get anything, but just because I really like them as a company. Dangerous but good. Um, their whole thing is is they take that from Aslan and they described Aslan as being dangerous but good. It's mm-hmm. so like us as Christian men, that should be, we, we should be able to be uh, dangerous but good, you know? Right. Or um, Warrior Poet Society, uh, John Lavelle, he's a, a ranger from Second Bat. But uh, he, he's gotten out and now he has 
this whole society called the Warrior Poet Society. And, and that's kind of their whole thing is as warrior poets, we should be people that are able to protect and defend and stand up for people um, by being prepared to do that, you know? Mm-hmm. So whether that's firearm training or just know how in survival or whatever it is, you know what I mean? So, um, so those are, are two guys that, that I would push that I know are strong believers and, um, and, and they're helping equip men to do that, to be men. Then the, the, the spiritual nature is, um, just like we're training for all of that, we should also be spending time in the word to know God's word in and out so that we can speak the truth of the gospel to the heart of the culture, mm-hmm. you know? Um, because if we can't do that, then we're of no help. Right. You know? If the churches are weak, if the culture is weak, it's because the Christian males are spiritually weak. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we need to be getting stronger spiritually and wielding the sword of the spirit, yeah. which is his word. So um, with that said, Let's talk about Thanksgiving. All right. <laughs> I don't know how that transfers. It doesn't really. <laughs> but um, so, all right, question, Andrew. Yes. When, well, before we get there, let's kind of give some context to why Thanksgiving's coming up in just a couple of weeks. It's November, like the 9th, as we're recording this, November the 9th, as it comes out, like the 12th or something. I don't know. But so Thanksgiving's coming up. Thanksgiving is a holiday that is widely celebrated in America, and lots of people celebrate it. Um, It's been getting a lot of negative publicity, too. And so as the culture gets more and more woke, uh, Thanksgiving is one of those holidays that people like to push back on. And so you see a lot of people that don't do Thanksgiving, but they do like Friendsgiving and mm-hmm. they, they get together with friends cause you know, they're not having families of themselves. <laughs> and so you just get a lot yeah. of people that get together with friends and they, uh, most, there's a lot of people that are atheists, you know, um, or LGBT community and all that stuff. And so, you know, they do Friendsgivings and we're not thankful to the Lord. We're just, we're going to, we're going to sit around with family or we're going to sit around with friends. We're going to eat a good meal and we're going to just be thankful. Mm-hmm. Um, in the last, so in the last 10 years, let's say the last 10 years, uh, there's been this huge shift uh, that's happened in the American culture. Um, culture is, is driving what and who we worship and, uh, our old shared foundations have completely eroded, you know? So you think about, uh, the, the average American in the thirties, forties, fifties, sixties, even in the nineties, early two thousands, um, there was a, a common understanding on what was right and wrong. There was a common understanding on what is male, what is female. There was a common understanding on who gets married and who should not get married. There was a common understanding on a lot of stuff, you know, um, that there's no longer a common understanding on. And that's because we've been going through this huge culture shift and we've allowed culture to dictate what and who we worship. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, And so there's been this erosion of this shared foundation that people have had for eternity, 
you know? And they're like, well, we don't want to go back to this like old outdated, you know, way of thinking or, you know, what you believed yesterday is no longer what's acceptable to believe. Right. But that thought has only been for like two minutes mm-hmm. in the history of people. You right. Know? But the whole time before that, everybody was on the same page on certain things. So what are some examples? Uh, abortion. Murder for personal convenience is a right, you know? Um, yeah. And even though that's been overturned now, uh, people are still saying, well, you know, it, it is a right. And that if I want to kill somebody for personal convenience, that's my right. And even though the Supreme Court said it's not, well, I'm going to start electing officials that will make sure that my state says that it is. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the the family structure um, – is no longer viewed as a blessing from the Lord. It's viewed as being oppressive. Um, then you've got, you know, you have the right to choose to be male, female, non-male, non-female, sometimes male, sometimes female, neither male nor female, you know? Like, um, yeah. these are all things that that people are fighting for as, as rights. Um, but, like, with that, Christian thought has become totally void in the public square. And uh, it's far less common even in the church today. Um, when you start talking to people in the church, Christian thought, what I mean by Christian thought is the way that we think about things that are going on around us as through the lens of Scripture. Mm-hmm. What does Scripture say about this or that? So you saw this with COVID. Um, a lot of churches were freaking out and they were like, we don't know how to handle this. We don't, well, you know, shots. We don't know. Right. I don't know. Masks. I don't know. Right. Um, Black Lives Matter, social justice issues. I don't know. You know, a, a lot of people have become, um, Christian thought is far less common in the church, which goes without saying that it's totally void in the public square today. You know, uh, so my argument is that Christian thought must be restored. Um, what does that mean? Christian thought must be to be restored. Uh, just off the cuff, how would you argue that we should go about restoring Christian thought? Well, I think that we've got to adopt a mindset of all of Christ for all of life. I think one of the things that happened in 2020 was um, it exposed the fact that many, many churches were a bit, um, well, the whole counsel of God wasn't being preached. Um, right. And so, because scripture is the foundation for everything. It's the foundation for how you view, how you treat one another. It's the foundation for how you view um, government tyranny and, and oppression and things like that. It's the foundation for how you view economics and foreign policy and all of these different things. Scripture is the foundation for all of that stuff, but what was being preached was a truncated version of all of that. And it was being masked as what they would call gospel central preaching. Yeah where everything is only about the gospel, but but the meaning of that is truncated as well because what they're saying the gospel only means is John 3.16, yeah. right? Um, when really the gospel is in everything because what is included in the gospel is, is Christ making all of his enemies his footstool and yeah. then returning and making all of things new. That is part of the gospel, and that's what also needs to be preached. I think that 2020 really exposed that. So we've got to get into a place where we are saying, okay, 
that is not what needs to be preached anymore. What needs to be preached is that, but also all of these other things as well, because it's all of Christ for all of life. Yeah. You know? Right. Yeah. And so I, I think the analogy that I've heard uh, several times, I don't even know who to give credit to anymore, um, is the analogy of like a two-story bus. So like you go to London and they have those double-decker buses mm-hmm. and the people on top, they're they're seeing everything and all of that. But the bottom of the bus is what's steering the bus. Right. You know? And, uh, and so there's a lot of evangelicals that have these heady ideas of Christianity and spirituality and all of that stuff where, you know, we need to love God. We need to worship God. We need to do, you know, come and, and talk about the, you know, the love of God and the Holy spirit and all, all of these mm-hmm. different things. And so like you have these big churches that gather lots of people and they're like, look, we're, uh, we're making a difference. Uh, a good example would be, um, Rick Warren at mm-hmm. the last Southern Baptist convention, right. Uh, where he was like, Hey, you know, we need to keep the main thing, the main, and we've talked about this before too, but we need to keep the main thing, the main thing. And, uh, who am I to say that? Well, look at all that I've done. I've trained this many people. I've seen this many people come to Christ. My church has this many members, all that stuff. Um, but what's uniting and what his call to unite under was not the gospel and what, or the word of God and what that says to be true. What he was trying to unite people under is look at all these things that I've done, you know? And obviously I must be doing something right if I've had these examples, but, um, but what is the main thing? And, and God's word is the main thing. Mm -hmm. Like Christ being exalted is the main thing. Um, he is worthy of all honor and glory. And the reason that we exist is to glorify him, Mm -hmm. you know? So, uh, you know, you have these people that they have these heady ideas, but then when it comes to actually steering the bus of the church, they don't know how to navigate that. Mm -hmm. Well, what does the Bible say about the Christian walk or what, how do we, how do we reconcile God's word and politics or God's word and economics or God's word and justice or God's word and legislation or, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, well then they're like, well, I don't know, you know, um, (laughs) that we're not doing that steering. We're up here in the heady ideas, but there's no actual practicality to the church, uh, having answers to these questions, Mm -hmm. you know? And so Christian thought has just kind of gone out the window. It's more just this idea now. It's more this philosophical idea than it is actually putting feet to living out the Christian life, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, so the lack of Christian thought in the church has made us the ostriches that we talk about with our head buried in the sand. Um, so my argument is we need to be less like the big Eva churches and pastors and Christian leaders Um and we need to be more like the Puritans. Mm-hmm. Um, we need to go back to, if if you've never read a book by a Puritan author, I would strongly suggest that you do it because they would write about the Christian walk and how it invades every aspect of life. You know, like you can read- How you clean your house. <laughs> how, yeah, how you clean your house, yeah. how what you're eating- um, the things that you're doing, like they, they talked about the Christian life and, and, and wrote out how it invades all aspects of life, 
you know? And so I, I would recommend for people to go and to read some Puritan writers, um, you know, uh, the, the mortif- mortification of sin is a, a really good one by Baxter. Um, you know, so if you've never read any Puritan, get the mortification of sin and read that. Uh, it's a really good book. But so anyway, this has led to a culture shift and it's led to a worship shift. Um, it's led to that in all of our biblical founded holidays. So like Easter, Christmas, Thanksgiving, all of that. Uh, and it's led to it in how we worship God. You know, we've talked in great deal about how we need to restore biblical worship. Mm-hmm. Um, but even when you're talking about like Christmas or Easter or Thanksgiving, um, it, there's been this, this cultural shift in, in that too. So like Thanksgiving specifically or Easter, like Easter is no longer about the, the death burial and specifically the resurrection of Christ from the dead. Um, Easter's about the Easter bunny or Easter eggs or candy or, you know what I mean? Or just dressing up in spring colors and taking right. nice pictures yeah. together. Wearing really. hats and getting that yeah. family picture. And dressing all like going to the Kentucky Derby. Right. And, yeah. And yeah. so, but like even churches, during Easter, like their main push is we're going to have a kid's Easter egg hunt and let's Mm -hmm. get a bunch of kids to come and hunt Easter eggs. And then, Hey, ministry of, you know, we just did community outreach. Right. Well, no, you haven't. Mm -hmm. You've just, you know, you've, you've taken the worship of what that holiday was, has been doing, which is worshiping God and celebrating the resurrection of Christ and the atonement being accepted. And now we've made it about, hunting Easter eggs for kids to go and, and find. It'd be like Elijah setting up idols to the to the to Baal or whatever to attract the prophets of Baal so that then right. he could tell them about <laughs> Yahweh. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> yeah. You know, I and, mean and so so and then you got like Christmas and like we I harp heavy on Christmas. <laughs> I man, it's like after Thanksgiving Christmas I'm is just like the grind. I've got to put like those blinders <laughs> that you put on horses because like so much stuff. Uh, I'm just like that is like we are completely it's an idol, you know. We've made Santa an idol. We've made this an idol. We made that an idol. You know, you better you know, um he's making a list, checking it twice, going to find out who's naughty or nice, you know. Like there's a, even a, and then throughout a the year, that's that says, a parenting thing of thank, like, well, thank God, give thanks to the Lord above that Santa Claus comes tonight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's like that is idolatry. Um, <clears throat> but anyway, so, um, so we've taken these things that were uh, holy days to worship God, and we've made them self righteous, self indulgent, self reflective, self worshiping times of the year that we all love ourselves and worship ourselves. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, and so, and then specifically with Thanksgiving, that's the same thing. That's what we're seeing is that push away from the traditional understanding of what Thanksgiving is. And now it's all about good food and family and football. Um, football. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, so, so when we talk about Thanksgiving as a holiday, what do you think about well, I would say, I mean, and you don't have to give the like right churchy answer. Just no, yeah, I would say honestly, as far as when we think about Thanksgiving as a holiday, 
I mean, for me, the first thing that comes to mind is family. Um, you get to see How about everybody. Mimi's Thanksgiving this year? Fried chicken. Nah. Oh, no. Me- uh, Mexican food. Yeah. Yeah. Mimi's <laughs> flipping the script. That's right. And she's having a Mexican she's not fiesta. Having it. Yeah. <laughs> so that's it. That's right. Tell me about that. Was yeah. Like, that'll be oh, fun. Okay. Um, but yeah, Thanksgiving, you know, it's one of the only days of the year really that you get, well, for, for Emma and I anyway, that we get to see everybody. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, there are times even Christmas we don't get to see everybody. Um, but, uh, and then, you know, I would say it, for me, the Thanksgiving experience depends on where I'm at as far as, um, family. Um, so like Emma's family, for example, um, they really do a good job of, um, giving thanks to the Lord. Like it's becomes a topic of conversation for them is, all right, what has the Lord done for, like, what, how has the Lord been faithful to you? You know what I mean? Um, Not saying that that's something that just gets asked over and over again at the table, but that is kind of the narrative of the get together. You know what I mean? Um, And so I I really am, I'm thankful for that is the fact that, you know, uh, there are families out there who still, that's, that's, what it is, you know, that's what it's mm-hmm. for is giving thanks to the Lord for what he's done. Um, it reminds me, it was funny. I was just reading of the, uh, festival of the booths in, uh, mm-hmm. John chapter seven. And, um, that was kind of what the Israelites were doing. They were getting together. <laughs> they were getting together and they would actually pitch tents out in, um, you know, Judea and they would remember how, God was faithful to them in the wilderness before they went into the promised land. Um, And so it kind of reminded me of like what they were doing then is kind of a similar thing as to what we do now or what we ought to do now. Um, So, yeah, I would say. And then after that, definitely food. (laughs) Right, yeah. (laughs) And and yeah. All right, so So, the question that I was going to ask you is- you watch the Detroit Lions get smacked. What is your favorite- Thanksgiving food. Stuffing. Stuffing. Is my favorite. All right. Specifically my grandma's stuffing. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if she they got that she got that box stuffing. It's there like, you go. That stuffers. Yeah. Yep. I wonder if there's a, a Mexican food equivalent of stuffing that Mimi's gonna make this year. I don't know. Um so for the listeners that don't know Mimi, that is Andrew's mom and my mother in law. Yes. But uh we're going to be at her house on Friday, the day after Thanksgiving. And she was like, mm-hmm. you know what? Everybody's already going to be having had a Thanksgiving meal on Thursday. So this year we're going to change it up. We're going Mexican. <laughs> so, um, all right. So, so you can have that Thanksgiving Mexican rice. Yeah. There yeah. You go. All right. So getting back to this, um, Thanksgiving as a holiday, what's it about all of that? Um, we should be a people marked by thankfulness. Um, the key to Christian contentment is a thankful heart, right? Uh, but one of the things that I want to kind of talk about is the act of giving thanks is solely a biblical concept. You don't see giving thanks apart from God's word. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and specifically, apart from God moving and working and creating and making 
there's no reason for thankfulness. So when you have lost people that are gathering to give thanks for things that are atheistic, that is pointless. Mm-hmm. What are you, who are you thanking? Right. You know what I mean? If everything is, is relative made up of chance and matter happening or, um, evolution and you know what I mean? Like if there is no God, then who are we thankful for? Right. Things too. Well, even if someone did something good for you or to you that right. you can't then say that that was their motivation to right. do that because That's it's just, all self-motivating. Yeah. Right. That just happened that way. Right. So, so apart why, from why scripture, <laughs> there's no, there's no desire yeah. to be thankful. You know what I mean? And so, um, that's kind of one of my big pushbacks to this. Uh, so when we are, uh, convinced that God is good, we are thankful. That's what drives Thanksgiving is, uh, a being convinced that God is good. Um, so the culture says that God is not good and you are owed more, you know, um, uh, that's kind of the push from culture. God's not good. If God exists, he's not good. And you're owed more. Um, but what does the Bible say on Thanksgiving? Truthfully, I don't have the time to go through and read all of the passages, but uh, I want to focus on two, specifically uh, two important passages. The first one is Revelation chapter four, and then the second is Revelation chapter seven. Uh, can you turn to chapter four? It's going to be verses nine and 10, Revelation chapter four, verses nine and 10. And I'm going to go to Revelation chapter seven, verses 11 and 12. Um, so go ahead and read Revelation chapter four, verses nine and 10. It says, and whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who give, who worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will, they existed and were created. Yeah. So if is seen here, the highest form of worship shows the living creatures giving thanks to God. How big of a sin is it for us uh, that, that receive God's gift and then steal the thankfulness that we should have for him by turning it into personal boasting? Right. You know what I mean? So like a good way that you can see that is, get around this Thanksgiving when you're sitting around your friends or family. And a lot of times what people do, and I think that you've mentioned this, but they'll, they'll, all right, let's go around and talk about what we're thankful for. Mm-hmm. You know, well, I'm thankful for, uh, my family or I'm thankful for this house or I'm thankful for the job promotion that I got, or I'm thankful for this or that. Like how much of the stuff that we're thankful for is actually just a, a twisted form of personal boasting, Mm -hmm. you know, um, things that I've done or that I've accomplished or things that are happening to me. Um, like, is that true thankfulness? Right. What does the Bible define thankfulness as, you know? And, and, and so there can be things that God has blessed us with that we're thankful for, but ultimately what is the heart of the Thanksgiving? Mm -hmm. Is it in the fact that I have these things or is it in the fact that I'm worshiping God right. and giving thanks to him because of who he is right. and what he's done, not what he's given me. Right. You know what I mean? 
Well, where's um, your true, where is your treasure? It really reveals right. that. Is yeah. your treasure Christ or is your treasure the blessings that stem from a relationship with Christ? Yeah. You know? And so the next passage, Revelation chapter 7, verses 11 and 12. It says, And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne, and they worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And so, um, you know, I would say that you are not truly worshiping God if the worship does not flow from a thankful heart for who God is and what he's done. You know, Um, I'm humbled when I see people that are marked by biblical thanksgiving in the midst of major trials. You know, uh, so whether it's personal loss or sickness or whatever it is, but like when I see people that have gone through personal trials and they're still marked by a heart of thanksgiving to the Lord, Mm -hmm. you know, um, that, that humbles me and it should humble all of us, but that should be the average Christian, you know, we should look different than the culture and, um, you know, I one of the things that I was wondering is, like, how was Horatio Spafford able to write It Is Well With My Soul after losing all four of his daughters, mm-hmm. you know? So for those that don't know Horatio Spafford, he wrote It Is Well With My Soul. And um, he wrote that after he lost all of his daughters. Um, they were and traveling. Wife, right? No, the wife That's survived, uh. um, but she was in the ship with him. Yeah. And she wrote a letter to him, you know, uh, I don't know, Morse code or whatever. But Mm -hmm. all he got was um, that she was the only survivor. You know, the wife said, I'm the only survivor. And so then he's going over to be with her. And when he passed that spot, you Mm -hmm. know, it's where the the ship went down is when he started writing, it is well with my soul. But so how was he able to write that? He tells us in the song, you know? And so the first verse when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Yeah. And then he goes on and he talks about, though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and he has shed his own blood for my soul. Um, the Lord haste, and Lord haste the day when my faith shall be sight the clouds be rolled back as a scroll, the trumps shall resound, and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. And uh, so like when I think about that, if we were to make a list of the things that we're thankful for this year, how many of those things can be taken away in a moment? Mm-hmm. You know, if we're thankful for our family, when and if our family was taken away from us, would we still be thankful? Right. You know, or if we're thankful for our health and then the next day you get a cancer diagnosis, stage Mm -hmm. four, are we still thankful? Or if you're thankful for your house and then a hurricane comes and levels it, are you still thankful? Right. You know what I mean? Because Thanksgiving should not be rooted in the stuff that we have that's perishable. Our Thanksgiving should be rooted in what's eternal, and that's Christ, Mm -hmm. you know? And that's what Horatio Stafford's song is about, is I have lost these things that are incredibly dear to me, but what is eternal is who I'm thankful in, 
you know, um, though these storms should come, though these trials come, my blessed assurance is that Christ has shed his own blood for my soul. And I am now an eternal being and my family is eternal and I'm going to live with him for all of eternity. That is the root of thankfulness. It's a proper understanding of who God is and a proper understanding of worshiping him. You know, so like when you go around the Thanksgiving table and you listen to all the things that people are thankful for, all of those things, most of those things that are listed could be taken away at any moment, you know? Mm -hmm. So our Thanksgiving needs to shift to something more established and that's Christ, you know? Right. And so um, the question then is, why did the Puritan pilgrims institute Thanksgiving in the first place? And why do we still celebrate it today? Um, what was going on there? Why, why is this a holiday that we still celebrate? Um, is this something that we should get rid of? Like the woke culture, culture tells us that we should. It's just this, you know, uh, misogynistic, patriarchal, antiquated holiday. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it's a bunch of white people taking things from the Indians. Should we just uh, eliminate <laughs> it? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's what it's become. Right. Like if you celebrate Thanksgiving, you're a racist, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so are they right or were the Puritans right? Um, so let's look at it. Uh, Thanksgiving, it starts with this amazing Christian who spent some time in Spain and England. Okay. Uh, so you got this, this amazing Christian spends time in Spain and England and uh, by the way, he was a native, native American named Squanto, right? Yeah. Um, 1600s, Squanto's 12 years old, and he's stolen as a slave by the Spanish. Uh, then he was sold to monks who cared for him, and they introduced him to the gospel. Uh, they take him. Uh, in London, he was taken— so the, these monks, uh, they take him in, they take him to London In London, he's taken in by a Christian family who taught him English and they got him a job. After many years, Squanto returned to find all of his village, uh, had been destroyed because of sickness from the Spanish. But by God's grace, Squanto's life was saved because of his slavery, right? So if he yeah. had not have become a slave and been taken to England, right. he would have died just like everybody else through God's grace. Through God's sovereignty, he's taken out, he survives, he's educated, he comes to, to faith in Christ, and um, he comes back to his people, finds out they've all been killed. Um, at that same time that he finds out everybody's dead, um, at that same time, a group of Puritan pilgrims uh, have traveled west to start a biblical society. This group of Puritans... Um, they almost didn't survive their first winter there. Uh, it was a hard winter. They lost a lot of people. They, they almost didn't survive. And after the winter's over, Squanto finds them. Squanto teaches them how to survive off of the land. Uh, he teaches them what to farm, how to farm, he, you know, how, how to better hunt and survive in, in that area mm-hmm. and uh, builds this partnership with them. And because of Squanto, those people survived. And ultimately we're here today, right? Mm-hmm. So when you look at that, God used this Native American who should have ultimately perished with everybody else. And then all of the Puritan colonists would have perished as well. Um, but that's not what happened. And they established Thanksgiving 
to be thankful to God, one for their survival, but for just him moving and working and being sovereign and providing for them. You know what I mean? Right. And so that's what that Thanksgiving meal is about. Um, and so when we celebrate Thanksgiving, that's what it should be about too. It shouldn't be about just the food and the family. Like those are blessings from the Lord and we should be thankful for those things. But ultimately our foundation of Thanksgiving is not rooted in those things. Right. It's rooted in who God is and what he's done, you know? And so like going back to Horatio Stafford's song, Spat, Stap. Anyway, um, <laughs> his song though, um, you know, the, the part specifically, though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. Like that is the ultimate root of thanksgiving. Right. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You know, all of us deserve hell. All of us are sinners before God. All of us have turned our backs on him and we've chose to worship ourselves. You know, every single person that's ever been created after Adam and Eve, like that's been our choice. But while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You know, God became flesh and he lived a perfect life. He fully kept all of the law, even though none of us deserved it. He still did it for the, the hope that was set before him. So like you go to Hebrews 12, one and two, um, let me find it real quick. Um, as I'm looking, I'm gonna try to quote it. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside the weight that clings so closely, looking to Christ, who is the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Um, like that is the gospel. That's the hope of the gospel. That's our Thanksgiving is in that. Uh, we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. We need to lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race set before us. Who are we looking to? We're looking to Jesus, who is the founder and the perfecter of our faith. Mm -hmm. Our faith comes through him. It was founded by him. It's perfected through him, you know? And, and because of that, um, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Like when is the last time that we endured something we despised for the purpose of him who is seated at the right hand of the throne of God? Yeah. You know? Uh, so that is kind of my thoughts on all of this. Us as Christians, we need a more biblical understanding of what Thanksgiving is and what we should be thankful for. And once we have that, no matter the trials that come, we can be thankful. You know what I mean? Right. So uh, that's my call to all of you that listen to this podcast. Uh, as you're getting ready to celebrate Thanksgiving, like let's have a biblical understanding of what Thanksgiving is, where it's rooted, and why we should be thankful. Yeah. You know, because if everything that we have is taken away, we can still have thanksgiving. We can still have hope. We can still have joy because Christ is still King of kings and Lord of lords. Right. And he still shed his blood for us. And we will live with him for all of eternity if we've been washed in the blood. Yeah. You know?
That's right. Final thoughts? No, that was good. Um, I, I think that's definitely a challenge to um, all of us, especially who, well, yeah, all of us who are in Christ as we celebrate Thanksgiving. Because uh, I think that this is one of those things, as we mentioned before, that the culture has um, really infiltrated the church in. Um, it's kind of one of those things where you don't realize sometimes until you actually learn about, well, the origins of Thanksgiving and then also biblical Thanksgiving and what that looks like, that you turn around and you realize, man, all of the stuff that I grew up with is right. really not that that good. <laughs> yeah. You know? Uh, so, um, yeah, it's a good, good challenge. Yeah. Well, uh, we are thankful for you if you're listening. Yes. And um, if you're still here, we love you guys. Hope that you have a good Lord's Day. Hope that you're enjoying this fall season with all of the pumpkin spice lattes and caramel brulee lattes and mint. Uh, chocolate chip mochas. Chocolate chip mochas. Caramel ribbon crunch. Yep. Uh, Sugar cookie. Extravaganza. Whatever that is. But most importantly... Um, Make sure that we are rooting our thanks, thankfulness in the Bible. We need to have a biblical understanding of it. And um, so, yeah, uh, I've already said everything else. <laughs> <laughs> we will see you next week. All right. Mm, bye-bye. Mm, bye-bye.